Hey, peace and blessings to you. My name is Jerry B. I am the Entree Musician. And you know what? So are these gentlemen right here too. One to your left, one at the bottom. I think they're in the same positions that we had them last time that we hooked up. It was several months ago and I cued them on being experts. They tried to get out of it, but they are the experts in Web3 in NFTs, in virtual reality. And this is sort of our catch up and you might as well say a sequel to what we began. Now I'll say this one thing before I introduce them and that is they gave a lot of love in the last episode. So if you haven't done so, please go back. I don't mind if you pause this, but go back and listen to that first one because they were absolutely on point in giving us a framework of how to get into NFTs, what the metaverse was, and sort of showed us the why. Today, we're going to be a little bit more operational, uh, find out some things that we haven't missed. But the experts for today, as they were a few months ago, is to my left, incredible music producer and artist Death Beach from San Diego, California, and below my brother and friend, Ohio man like myself, is entertainment attorney extraordinaire, John Shield. Gentlemen, how are you today? Excellent. Doing great. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Thank you for agreeing to come back on. And I appreciate your patience with the scheduling uh, fiasco that I kind of created. Now, I want to start this episode uh, with doing this. First of all, we did not do this in the last episode, and I apologize, but I'm going to start with Death Beach. Can you just give us uh, some background on who you are as an artist, the studio uh, that you run out in California, and some of the services that you provide so that someone can get in touch with you? Sure. Uh, Death Beach, go by Death Beach, Death or DB, whatever people are comfortable with. Um, been a music producer and engineer for probably like 15 years now, uh, operating out of San Diego. Do a lot of stuff via online, uh, deathbeachstudio.com. Uh, recently kind of pivoted into Web3 and blockchain, and I'm also a community strategist at Pools. Uh, it's a pools.io social token company that's coming up. And uh, I do all kinds of stuff with mixing, recording, producing, and really all kinds of stuff in Web3. Is there a particular genre of music that you produce or is just any anything the client is into while your studio can produce um, it? I am... I kind of specialize in really flipping people's songs uh, on their heads. So if you have something and you want to really take it in a different direction or you have something you already produced it up and you kind of don't really like that vibe, uh, I'm really good at kind of really flipping it. Oh, that's real cool. And John, and John, I'm leaving uh, John for last because there is an excellent uh, episode of The Entree Musician where we learned a lot about John and why people need to hire an entertainment attorney, even if you're not Jay-Z. So John, why don't you reintroduce yourself, my friend? So my name's John Scheel. I've been playing and producing music and running Sound and Lights for longer than I can remember. And uh, about 15 years ago, I decided that the one skill that not a lot of people had around me uh, was the legal knowledge to help people level up in this industry. So I went to law school and my practice has been a boutique practice aimed at primarily musicians and creative entrepreneurs like you gentlemen for the past 10 years. Uh, so we're 
10 year anniversary just passed and we're still going strong, doing lots of stuff for artists, musicians, actors, models, entertainers, filmmakers, studios, all sorts of stuff. And uh, there's a surprising amount of it in the Midwest. So if you're on the West coast, you're not, you're not the only ones with creatives as Jerry can tell you. We got a lot of folks here in Ohio and uh, Kentucky and Indiana, Tennessee, obviously. Uh, so I, I handle folks from all over the world uh, nowadays, but uh, primarily an artist-based legal practice. And so I want to ask the both of you, uh, do, do the two of you provide like virtual consultations if, uh, you know, an artist should need, hey, I don't know what I don't know. And would you uh, get online with them and do something? Absolutely. Yeah, I do. I do consultations all the time. Sometimes folks don't know what they don't know. They just know that they're getting into deeper waters. And actually, I would prefer it if you call me. I, I say this all the time. So I run sound a lot. I run lights a lot. I'm, I'm constantly on stages with artists and I pass out my card and I say, I do sound lights and legal. And they always say, hey, I could have used you a few years ago when such and such happened. So I'd rather have someone, my response is always a quick call to me for free could save you tens of thousands of dollars in this industry. And I would rather have people call, consult, check in, um, just even if it's just quickly and not take up a whole lot of time. Uh, but I'd rather ha have you have some input before you make the decision that then later turns into a lawsuit that needs to be on. <laughs> I understand that specifically. And I, I I do dig the fact that you led with your musicianship before your legal. <laughs> so that, was, that was pretty cool. So thank you. Now, both of you gentlemen uh, really hit us hard, as I said before uh, the last time, and it's hard to believe it. it's been about four months uh, since we sat down together before with why musicians need to be on the metaverse, why we need to know about NFTs. Uh, I don't think much has changed uh, in these four months, but there's a greater sense of urgency, at least among the musicians that I talk to. Why now more than ever, and, and either of you can answer this question, why now more than ever should musicians have their heads into the metaverse and studying NT, um, NFTs? Uh, well, I would just simply say whenever we look at what we're getting, where, how we're getting paid for our music elsewhere, uh, and we look at even just the potential um, that lies in NFTs, uh, to me, once you look at that, it's kind of a no-brainer. Like, why would you not do NFTs? Because you do NFTs, it doesn't mean you're not doing the other things, right? So we're only adding a stream of income as a musician, yeah. um, which most artists and musicians I talk to, they could use the extra stream of income. And what's really great about the NFTs and what we're starting to see, if you go on OpenSea, it'll tell you the amount of Ethereum that's been traded on a collection, right? And the numbers really start to jump on the backend sales, right? The, the second market sales. So, people really need to realize the just the overall power, right? Like you you make the initial sales up front, but people start trading them on the back end. And, and that to me is where um, you can actually see the really big amounts of, of money, even for an independent artist, you know, maybe not huge if you're if you're small, but definitely uh, substantial compared to streaming. Well, I don't want to uh, complicate, you know, the situation, but should the artist go into the NFT verse uh world first before the metaverse or 
should they try to jump in both streams? Well, I tell people to go play in the metaverse uh, and actually interact with the technology first before you do anything at all. Uh, and I think that whenever you do that, whatever is kind of inspiring you, that that's what you want to lean into. I see. So um, I'm, I'm hitting you with all kinds of questions I, because I listened. I actually listened to the last episode and I thought you guys, you know, you guys were on top of it. So John, jump in wherever you feel like it. But one thing that I don't know is you mentioned tokens. So we were talking about wallets before. And so what's the difference between a wallet and a social token? Well, I, I think um, Death Beach probably can do a better job of explaining this, but I just wanted to add on to what he said previously, because I think we talked a little bit about it last time. I think if you don't have a fundamental business plan as a musician, I think you are putting the cart before the horse. If you're mm -hmm. not thinking about this in terms of how this is an added revenue stream for your existing portfolio, I and mean, you got to think about it from an artist standpoint, you have to build a tribe. That tribe of people can sustain you and you can have an NFT that then adds to your portfolio and it could unlock things in the metaverse. It could unlock real things too. But, you know, obviously the bigger your tribe, the bigger impact your NFT will have. Mm -hmm. And then the more likely it is that it could have some resale value. Um, and as NFT, as, as Deathbeat said, an NFT is just adding to what you already do if you if you already stream if you're if you're looking at streaming as a source of revenue and you're a smaller artist you're going to take a lot it's going to take a lot of streams to get the kind of revenue that you could get if you are putting out an album and it contains some some digital tokens to the metaverse or concert tickets whatever it is your nft could could have a, a serious increase in value and if you think about selling cds at concerts uh, I mean, an NFT could be, you know, that plus more. It takes a whole lot of streams to get that kind of revenue. Would, um, you, re would you recommend uh, putting your back catalog, if you're an artist, you have four or five CDs, you know, that were CDs, uh, converting them into audio NFTs? I think that if you can package up your previous work, if you're a legacy type artist who has maybe had some albums uh, over the past several decades, and you could put that together with some new material. Uh, I think it's a great way to sort of do what we used to see with the greatest hits compilations and stuff. But I also think that, again, it's about interacting with your community because from what I'm seeing, the, the, the NFTs that, that do the best have a, a communal uh, buzz about them. There's a, they're collectibles, right? And, and if you are part of a group of people that really love this particular band, uh, or artists, then you want to interact with other people who are doing that. You that helps build the value. Um, and as Death Beach said, the resale value could be could be really high. So if you if you were say funding a new project through the sale of an NFT and you packaged up three or four previous projects in one NFT with maybe new digital artwork and digital content, maybe a token to some real estate or some club you create in the metaverse, some new new entrepreneurial thing with this package, you could sell that for $100, $1,000, whatever it is to your fans. And the more fans that you have, obviously the more that are going to purchase, but then you could use that say specifically, this funds the new thing. Um, and then 
again, the resale of it, maybe somebody already has all those discs, but they wanted to help fund, but they might turn around and resell it to someone else. And you could actually build in some of the proceeds from the resale as well. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I'm really answering your question so much. And I think Death Beach can talk more about, you know, what kinds of functional things people can do with the tokens and the blockchain technology. But, but what I'm seeing is that there's a community aspect of it. And if you don't, if you don't engage with the community, if you don't really focus on building a tribe, right. then releasing an NFT is, you know, I mean, I could, I could sell anything, but if, if nobody's really coming to my store, then That's right. they're not buying anything. Right. So no, I understand. Uh, you want to jump in on that? Sure. Uh, well, in regards to older material becoming NFTs, there's, not a lot of interest in the people that are in the NFT market right now. And the, the reason why is that music is already sold. Mm. It's been sold as a tape, as vinyl, as a CD. It's been on Spotify. And then now this person's going to monetize it one more time. People are over getting charged over and over again. And the beauty of the NFT is that I'm buying it and now I have something of value that I can resell later. If I'm buying something that's already been sold, I'm a little weary on how much value is still in it. Now, if you can offer me a slice of the royalty via NFT on an older song, that becomes a little more appealing. Mm -hmm. That's still my least favorite use case right now. I was real hyped on it in the beginning, but... To me, the reality is if you offer 30% of your royalties on your song and you make a thousand NFTs, you're now splitting that 30% between a thousand people. Some of those people maybe could only pay a hundred dollars. Some of those people could pay $2,000. So the royalty rate they're getting is a little different. If I'm one of the people that paid a hundred dollars, how much money am I getting after a year? How much money am I getting back after five years? If I'm an independent artist, and I only got a million streams on my whole catalog, you know, in the past five years, what's the value in me giving you a royalty NFT? Like you're not going to really make a lot of money off of it. Uh, and then with wallets and tokens, tokens are smart contracts. Like they're actual smart contracts that run on the blockchain for all intents and purposes, they're actual programs. And the wallet is the tool that we use to interact with smart contracts on the blockchain. Mm -hmm. So as far as the difference between a wallet and a token, that would kind of be, be it. The wallet reads smart contracts and interacts with them, and then the tokens are actual smart contracts. Now, now Death Beach, I'm sorry. can I jump in on the wallet aspect? Um, I think people may have the same question I have, which is, I've, I know that there are some wallets that are uh, like a hard drive offline, and then there are wallets like cryptocurrency. There's a there's a there's Coinbase and, and many others mm -hmm. uh, that will hold your NFTs uh, online. Um, do you have a preference as as someone who's a little bit more technologically savvy in this? And what's your what's your method of sure? The there's three three types of wallets. We have hot wallets, warm wallets, and cold wallets, right? The hot wallets is your wallet on an exchange. You do not own that wallet address. Um, it's being provided for you and the funds that are in it, the actual person that owns it is still that platform. So if you're on the Coinbase exchange and you just bought some Bitcoin, it's your name on the account. It says it's your Bitcoin, but it's Coinbase's wallet. Meaning 
we just saw this happen in Canada. If the government calls Coinbase and says, Death Beach can't have his Bitcoin, my wallet on Coinbase can be shut down and I can't have access to it. That's a hot wallet. Also, uh, because I don't have the keys to it and I don't have to sign for the Bitcoin to really leave, it's prone to hackers. So that's why we see people hack, hack exchanges. A warm wallet would be something like MetaMask inside your browser. Um, you know, you can be logged out of it. You can, you, you're, you know, you're in control of it. You have the private keys to it. Um, you can um, disconnect the uh, permissions, which is different than just disconnecting from a site, disconnecting the permissions. Like if you go to a site, you sign, you're giving the site permission to access the tokens in your wallet and spend the tokens in your wallet. So you can revoke those permissions. And if you think that you went to a shady website, and you sign something and you're like, I maybe shouldn't have done that, you can revoke those permissions, meaning they can't try to drain your funds later. Mm. If you give the permission, they can drain your funds at any time. So we interact with sites that we trust, right? Like, you know, Uniswap, things like things like this. Um, and then finally, we have the cold wallet, which is like the not attached to the computer, looks like a hard drive. There's a few, few different ones. And that is probably the safest type of wallet because you do sign to give permission to spend, but then you have to enter in like a code on it, or I have, I have two of them. One, I just do a thumbprint, the other one I have to type in a code. Um, so you have to double approve the sign. And then whenever it wants you to confirm the transaction, you have to tell it yes, and then you have to punch in your code again. So punching in that code is a safety feature that even if somebody was to access your wallet and trigger something, it still needs you to interact with the hardware device in order to actually send it. And then we have a final option that you can do. Um, we can do what's called a multi-signature wallet. So typically in a business, we would do this so that like, you know, I'm in San Diego, you're in Ohio. Um, we start an NFT thing. We just made a million dollars. How can you trust me to not just go into that wallet and spend it? How can I trust you to just not go into that wallet and spend it? We get a multi-sig wallet. So we both have to sign it in order for funds to leave it. You can do it personally where I can make my phone or some other device prompt me to sign a transaction, requires multiple signatures, multiple devices to transfer the funds. So I would recommend either multi-sig or hardware or doing multi-sig with your hardware. That would be like the absolute safest. Um, and I would only put stuff on that wallet that is like, high value. You know what I mean? Like my high value NFTs, I'm not going to sell. Let's just put those in the cold wallet. Uh, Bitcoin, I'm not doing anything with that. We're just going to throw that on the cold wallet. Ethereum, maybe a little bit on there, but I kind of need Ethereum to do a bunch of stuff. So I keep that in my, in my warm wallet uh, and MetaMask. Um, so that's kind of like how I use them, but because doing all the auths to send stuff could be uh, a, a little annoying at times. If you're doing a lot of transactions, you have to like double confirm everything. That's really interesting. My my question then now is, is there a particular service? I mean, there's there's YouTube videos everywhere on you know NFT, NFT, NFT. But is there a, a trusted service? that can take an entree musician by the hand and say, step one, step two, step three. For creating for, an NFT? 
well, not only creating an NFT, but giving you the options, you know, like uh, looking over your, your business plan or you have a marketing plan and saying, okay, well, since you're going to do this, then you need to do that. That's the road you need to travel down. You mentioned Ethereum, uh, you mentioned the cold wallets, you know, is there any services? Are there any services? Uh, actually, there, like, I think you could go on like Udemy and you could probably find some basic blockchain kind of stuff. Um, there isn't like, I mean, like that's kind of something that I kind of do uh, in consultations and stuff like that. I'll, I'll walk people through the process or I'll ask them how much they know and have developed. And then if they do, I'll do like a monthly retainer and work with them over periods of time. Gotcha. Um, so it kind of depends on where people are at. But to be honest with you, I mean, obviously I just ranted for five minutes about wallets, just wallets. So like, and so that's what there's that's so what much I, for everybody to know. Exactly right. So, you know, we've, we've jumped into a whole new world actually. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think that, um, you know, one of the things that we want to do here is to make sure that you're making informed decisions which is why I asked you guys back, which, which is why you guys will be back next time, you know, because we're walking through something that is like, we're pioneers, it's, you know, uncharted territory, it's the wild west. And are there, you know, you seem to be, and this is no, obviously don't disrespect to John because he has the legal thing covered, but you seem to be more advanced in many of the people that I look to on YouTube, I watch your videos. You understand what I'm saying? So I don't know if there are any services that are stepping up. Like, for example, I think Derek Sivers did a great thing 100 years ago with CD Baby, you know, because we needed to know how did you get this out of the basement? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so is there a CD Baby as so, you know, so the, service? Okay, so right now there there is not. And it's because we don't have... Like, uh, we don't have a CD baby or a distro kid, right? Somebody that has the connections in all these places. And not only it's not the connections, mm -hmm. it's that we know what the main places are. We want to put stuff, right? The tools we all, all use, those were sort of in place around the time that CD baby, especially distro kid came out. Everybody had an email list. That's how you interacted. We knew that right now. If I make an NFT and I give it to you and I want to create special access for something, how do you create that special access? The, the NFT itself is open source technology, meaning anybody can create an app for it, right? If I have a social token, John can create an app for it to attract people to bring my social token to his app because he thinks that my social token is going to be worth a lot of money, right? And he wants to make a bunch of them so he can create an or he's a fan and he wants to create something for other fans yeah. so anybody can create uh the the apps for anybody to to play with but we just don't know that john's app is the one that we want to use for everything so there's all these tools spread out all over the place and i just found an amazing tool a site called third web the other day but third web gives you a bunch of code to plug into stuff to build your own site. So you kind of have to know how to code, right? Um, even though they're templates, I mean, you could probably watch videos, like we could probably hack something together pretty quick, but the, like the Spotify doesn't exist, yeah. right? Like yeah. just make your NFT, get it on Spotify. Like that's where everybody's going. We, we, we don't know that yet, right? Which to John's point, you have to have your community and your tribe. You have to be making content, getting people to interact with you and everything. So whenever you make this NFT, 
there's people that want to use it and are waiting for you to put it out. They're going to wait for you to add any type of additional functionality to the NFT. Um, but yeah, it's a little bit where we're at right now is we don't have those tools. So to be honest, like somebody like me that is doing all this research into the tools uh, is somebody that you want to talk to. But even before we got on, the, what we were talking about needing a whole team, yes. you know, trying to execute, we executed over this weekend doing a guest list that had to do with somebody's uh, social token fans um, and, and coordinating this whole thing. It took like several people to do it. So like you could work with me and I can show you all the tools and we can even create like a really cool plan. But there might be somebody that can help you strategize a plan better. Mm-hmm. Also, our plan's amazing. Is it legal? I don't know. We should call John and find right. out if what we're doing, if we can, should we be doing this? Because there's a lot of projects that are about to get in a lot of trouble right now. So, mm-hmm. you know, laws certainly not my specialty. So we would need, we would need John. And so I, I just encourage people to learn as much as they can, mm-hmm. because this is very clearly the future and the flexibility of the technology. Like it's not just your song. Like your song can be used to secure loans because it's an NFT mm. and we have DeFi technology. You know what I mean? There's just, just get your feet in, start doing stuff, start learning about it. That's what I, that's what I recommend to people. You, you recommended buying first, uh, you know, buying the NFT. Oh yeah. yeah. So you can get into the uh, world, uh, joining certain discords, right? You know? Yeah. Go, go to a metaverse concert, uh, buy an NFT for an artist that you really like like a music artist, like buy a music NFT, get that experience, get the experience of like buying an art NFT. If you're, if you're into art, um, because then you go to those discords and then you connect your wallet to the discord and then you see hidden rooms. I see. And then now you're a user who's like, Whoa, I'm in a hidden room. This is pretty cool. And then you're like, Oh shit, I want to do this for my fans. Mm. Right. And then that's the kind of thing that inspires you. And then you see how other people are using the technology, how they're building community. Like I think the, you know, right now for me, I could probably make a ton of money, right? Helping musicians learn about all this stuff, but really people who can build community are about to make a ton of money because that's exactly what people are going to need. Like, how do I get people into what I'm doing? And then how do I keep them here? Yeah. Wow. Now, John, the last time we were together, you were bringing up or raising some legal issues. One of the things that I remember you saying is there was conversation going through Congress. I don't know if it was a bill or something where, you know, they were going to begin to uh, finagle, not your word, my word, with uh, the uh, cryptocurrency coming out and being translated back, transferred back into the real world, so to speak. Uh, Is there any progress in that regard? Well, I think that currently things have been a little bit sidelined. There are certainly conversations going on about that. But as, as Death Beach mentioned earlier, you know, a, a hot wallet online could be regulated very easily by a government. And then that could change the way that, uh, that a consumer um, uses the, the Bitcoin or Ethereum or cryptocurrency in order to buy and sell um, NFTs or hold them. Um, I think currently what I wanted to say is I, I, I believe we are at the outset of this and people like Death Beach, yourself, myself, we are 
we are more invested in it than the folks who are currently sitting in Congress. There may be a minority, a small minority of them. But, you know, if you watched just whenever they had Zuckerberg testify a couple of years ago, there are members of Congress who have zero clue about the Internet, <laughs> let alone NFT. Right. But there, there is certainly a push to uh, and, and I think what you're going to see, especially when the cryptocurrency world has a shakeup where there's value lost, when people get irritated by the fact that their Bitcoin went from 45,000 to 10,000, if there's a shakeup like that, then you're going to have, or in the case, as Death Beach mentioned, there, there's some hackers. Um, when, you have, when you have fraud, misuse, and abuse of, of trust, um, then Congress gets like really bent out of shape because there's usually some angry, wealthy person on the back background who's sending some money to a lobbyist who's saying this needs to be changed. Um, the, the, right now, there are certainly lobbyists who are pushing for um, at least some regulation that benefits the, the market. Uh, but I, I, I think most regulation ends up uh, putting a hindrance on things. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of the Wild West right now. Right. I, I think it's easy to say that it's the wild west. Some people are more advanced and some people are pushing NFTs as, as product lines like Snoop Dogg just put out a record. Um, that's a really good example of how it's hitting the commercial sphere. But we are still very much at the outset of this. I mean, there, there are people who really understand it because they're looking at it every day. But even those folks can't say, well, this is the definitive coin to use. This is the definitive way that the token needs to be used. As Steph Beach said, there's no Spotify for NFTs right now. Yeah. It's still very new. And mm -hmm. we don't really know what the big players are going to do. I mean, I'm sure Zuckerberg and Bezos have plans and they've got a lot of money to spend to kind of create something, mm -hmm. uh, but we haven't hit it yet. We've seen glimpses. Jeff Bezos is very interested in the metaverse. He had a Good Morning America, like, or one talk show, he had, he had someone actually interview him in the metaverse. Mm -hmm. um, so you're seeing big, big players who are still on the fringes. Mm -hmm. And that means that there's still a lot to be worked out. But it doesn't mean that as a musician or an entrepreneur, that you can't be building a community, building a fan base, creating your own collectibles, looking at the ways that you can interact with the NFT marketplace. And as Death Beach said, buying a piece of art, buying a piece of music or, you know, getting a token, going, attending a concert. I mean, I think that's the really exciting thing is that you can attend concerts. You could be in hidden rooms. There could be all kinds of things. I've even seen those, you know, suggestions that this could translate offline to a, you know, a, a place where the holders of the token actually can can have admittance to a vacation beach rental or something, you know, that people can all come to a party. And, you know, well, let me ask this question then. Would you would you um, hitting that, John, uh, is that the difference between uh, augmented reality and virtual reality? I mean, what's what's the difference there? Is that what you're talking about? Well, so virtual reality would be completely uh, you, you know, you're wearing goggles and you're in a completely different space, right? Mm -hmm. But augmented reality, that's something where you're like, just imagine you're wearing Google Glass or okay. you're, you're seeing things that are combined with what is actually there. I but, see. 
So, but you were talking before I interrupted you, you were talking about like renting a space, a real space in which you guys log in or, you know, we log in and we go and watch a concert, but we're actually in a real bar, a real club, a real room. Is that correct? That's certainly possible. I mean, there's headphone dance parties already, right? Where you've got a silent disco. Uh, People who have been to Bonnaroo have seen the silent disco. Now, if you imagine that combined with maybe augmented reality, that could enhance the live experience. But I think what we've seen already is some of the largest concerts ever held have been online, virtual, in Fortnite, in a, you know, in a, sandbox environment type of virtual reality where people show up in avatars and there's Mm -hmm. 40 million people going to a Travis Scott concert or whatever. So, um, that's, that's happening right now. Um, and, and I think that's just going to continue to happen. I think all the game makers are getting involved and that's, that's a way they can immediately see monetization, uh, doing what they already do and pairing this new, these new technologies. Do you foresee a day like where uh, the independent artists can create their own Web3 instead of, uh, I mean, like uh, a band Zoogle for their own virtual reality, go to uh, deafbeachstudio.com and you're in your world? I, I can definitely see that happening. I mean, I, I'm, I'm working with artists who are just now migrating to Twitch and they're obviously the pandemic has pushed people more into an online world, but I have one client who regularly can perform to nine to 12,000 people. And they're what you might call a local indie band, but they have a pretty darn good following. Uh, I mean, a a decent sized theater in the Midwest is 3,000, 2,500 to 3,500 seats. So we're talking three times that amount regularly showing up to an online concert on Twitch. You know, that's, that's where this could go. You know, a band could perform on a soundstage and it could be broadcast virtually via video game or a sandbox type environment in the metaverse. Um, And there could be satellite locations where the sound is streamed and people could actually attend if they have a token and it could be augmented reality. It could be partial virtual reality. The, The sky's the limit as far as that's concerned. It's just a matter of putting the team together to put that kind of production together. You're still going to need networking capability. You still, you know, any good live event is going to need lights and sound. And so there's going to be production guys. And so you're, like, you're still, you're still working. You're still yeah, working. exactly. I still have a gig. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. So DB, what can you tell us about pools? You mentioned that in the last, uh, uh, last episode, and I know that's something that you're you're at work with. What is Pools, and how does it help us as entrepreneur musicians? Sure, uh, Pools is a social token platform. So we will be creating social tokens for creators and providing uh, what we're right now tentatively calling uh, community rooms. But really, these are essentially portals that uh, fans will be able to interact with you as an artist. So uh, example, if you had maybe some token gated music somewhere on, on a site, uh, the way to interact and get to that site would be through the pools platform. And the reason we're setting it up that way is uh, in the very beginning, we're anticipating not everybody will have a wallet. So people can come to the pools website, create an account with an email address, 
You can earn tokens for free. We have specific time periods that you can do this for each creator. You can earn tokens for free. You then have uh, those tokens attached to your email account on there. Now, we eventually uh, do an auction to raise liquidity for the tokens so that they have an actual price value. People can trade in and out of them. Once that happens, people can uh, put the tokens into their wallet but we're anticipating not everybody will do that. Not everybody will participate in the auction. So the people that keep it attached to their email will need the portal on the pool's website in order to be able to go and access different things. Traditionally in Web3, we would just have the website. You would log in with just your wallet uh, and you could do it totally anonymously, but we're trying to accommodate as many people as possible. And so pools is kind of the home base for this. Uh, and we are probably going to take the, like take over social tokens. I'm I'm pretty sure here in the next couple of months. I'm actually fairly confident in that. Uh, we just had a write up in Vogue, um, and we just released a uh, token with uh, French photographer Hugo Comte, uh, which he's pretty, I mean, amazing. You should check out his artwork. Uh, but so that's what we're doing over at Pools. Uh, we. We're approaching everything, instead of it really being like we're creating a social token that is a token for this particular creator, we're really saying that we're tokenizing communities. So again, back to this idea of your tribe, your community. Yeah. And the reason why we say that is, you know, the token is not just for the creator, the token's for the creator and the creator's fans. Mm -hmm. So we're tokenizing that creator's whole entire community. And we're also working with you know, brands, not just music artists. Uh, so we like to think of it in that way. Um, and that, yeah, I mean, in a nutshell, that's what, what Pools is doing. I'm, I'm, um, I pretty much want to ask, when do you sleep? I mean, you know, what, what um, the world? Well, it's actually interesting because we're a global brand. Uh, and right now we're only a team of 35. So to coordinate certain things. Uh, sometimes things do take place in the middle of the night. So uh, I just kind of sleep really whenever, <laughs> whatever I can. Uh, now, usually I try to take the weekends off. That's it's usually whenever I catch up. That's cool. Now, John, I know that you and your daughter uh, created a uh, created houses in the metaverse, yours being a tribute to Eddie Van Halen. Uh, what are you learning as you are spending more time in the metaverse? Well, so that was on a particular game that I think uh, is a good uh, analogy to the, that was on Roblox. So it's a, it's, it's a, it's a very simple metaverse type of a, a world. Um, but I think you're going to see things like that interacting more with, with other, um, other types of programs that, that connect those little pockets of virtual reality. Um, I think that it's, it's sort of interesting because you see in Roblox, the, the, the neighborhood world that I was in was called Bloxburg, but Roblox itself allows people to create games on their platform. So there's lots of games uh, that are for young kids. Um, and I, I think that's a good way to think about what's going on with, with tokens and social tokens and um, the, the coding and the web development tools. If, if you think about it in terms of nothing's really set yet, there's not like 
the whole world is on Facebook, right? It's not, it's all still being built. Mm -hmm. People are building neat things that are coming together um, and and joining up. And I, I think that's the neat thing for me to see is that little kids are kind of seeing how it works just natively because they're playing these games already. They're seeing new games be developed for that platform already. So it's not going to be something that our children are going to find super foreign. They're going to have grown up with it. Right. It's our parents who are going to, who are not even going to get in because it's like, Oh, that's too, that's too much. <laughs> did, did I understand that you said you had a recording studio in your home in the metaverse? Is that right? Um, I, yeah, in my uh, little Bloxburg house. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I built a recording studio and yeah, it was a, an awesome, it's an awesome house. Uh, <laughs> you should come visit. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta, I gotta get in there sometime. But now the, I'm, I'm leading to the question is we were talking about, so you're in there in your home, in your virtual recording studio. Have you written a song? Have you, you know, do you have a piece of intellectual property that exists only in the metaverse. That you so if you, there. if you think about what, what I'm doing is something very, very basic. It's not to that level. Uh, if you, if you've played Minecraft or anything like that, Bloxburg is a Minecraft with a little bit higher resolution, a little bit more, a um, little bit more bells and whistles that have been thrown in. There are games you can play in the neighborhood. You can go be a pizza delivery man and raise money and you can be a fisherman and raise money. And then you can buy more stuff for your house but it's not quite to that level yet. But in the metaverse, in the future, you will see things like, but there's plenty of, uh, just in the past few months, I've seen plenty of platforms for remote uh, recording and collaboration. Well, I could easily see that being added to that, that type of technology, that type of coding being added in the metaverse to a virtual recording studio. So you, with the people who have the token to get into my virtual house, could actually create if the coding were added to the recording studio part of my virtual house. That's a great, I mean, but these are all sort of future steps right now. What I'm doing is, is a still sort of in game form and it's, it's just fun for me and a young, young kid, but um, you can see that's where things are going for sure. Well, you still got to send me a picture of the studio. You know, <laughs> I freak out on studio pictures. Like I, you know, I'm on uh, deafbeatstudio.com. I'm going, oh, what kind of board is that? <laughs> <laughs> you know. So, gentlemen, what what uh, what should I uh, be asking that I haven't asked yet? I mean, I was trying not to. And again, for those of you out there, please go and watch episode number one. This is a catch up and there will be another catch up in a few months, too, because I'm sure as things continue to develop, I would like these two gentlemen to come on and explain it to us so that we can grow together. But what should I have asked that I haven't asked? And you said, doggone it, Jerry, how come you didn't hit that? Um, well, I guess we should start talking about timelines. Mm. When are some of these things going to happen? we discussed, you know, well, should somebody be making NFTs? Should they be in the metaverse? You know, I always recommend just learn what you can as fast as you can so you can know everything. But what John was just talking about and what you're talking about, having a studio where we're interacting in the metaverse and we're streaming, you know, at least 48K audio and 16-bit um, and, and doing a session in real time, well, we need bandwidth. 
to do that. And what we're really waiting for is like 5G to be able to send that type of bandwidth. But then we all need devices that can pick up and process the 5G. So we're not really too, right? We have 5G technology. We have phones with 5G. Like we're really on the cusp. We just don't have the infrastructure just yet for for 5G. Uh, but I think that's kind of what we're waiting for. And then along those same lines, discussing virtual reality and augmented reality, you know, augmented reality requires uh, still some sort of interface in order for you to see the reality augment. Where everything's ultimately going is to hyper-reality. So if you start thinking about like heavily futuristic movies where somebody's walking and an ad jumps out at them and the advertisement's just for them, that's going to be hyper-reality where we don't really need that kind of device type of interface. We don't need an app that's doing it. Uh, Everything's just kind of transpiring all on this 5G network. And there are contact lenses that they're coming out with where what they're billing them to be for, uh, one's called Mojo Vision, if anybody wants to look it up, but they're billing it to help people with uh, vision impairment. Mm. But ultimately, anybody will be able to wear these and they're, they have like little chips in them and stuff. They'll be able to do augmented reality and assisted vision type things with, with apps. Uh, and those like already exist. I'm not sure if they're really for sale, but you can go to like mojovision.com and, and read about these. There's there's a few a few different brands. So again, we're, we're on the cusp, but in order for hyper-reality to exist while I'm walking down the street, we need, again, the bandwidth and we need the device that's in your eye to be able to process that, that bandwidth. So I, I think it's good to start thinking about and asking those questions. Like, well, I mean, really, like when is this going to, to happen? Um, uh, there's a book I read, the futures faster than you think highly recommend it to anybody, but it starts out talking about Uber. Mm-hmm. Uber was designed with the idea of flying cars in mind. Interesting. That's, that's where they want to go. It's why they're losing money and been losing money because that's the vision is the autonomous cars that eventually, so I know it sounds crazy, but like you read the first chapter of this book and you're like, Whoa, Holy shit. Like, they invented Uber already thinking about this. Like mm. that's not 50 years off in the future, True. right? They're not, they're not waiting that long. Uh, and again, they're probably waiting for 5g to be able to have enough bandwidth to track all these vehicles moving around. Right. Uh, Elon Musk, Starlink, uh, even Bezos with Amazon is they're both working on ways to put uh, satellites up to kind of cast a net over the earth so that everybody can have 4g technology so right if everybody has 4g then everybody can at least interact with the metaverse and interact with nfts and like that kind of stuff and we have decent internet everywhere so these are like kind of the things that we have to start looking at to know like when is this going to really pop and manifest and i mean i think we're on the cusp but yeah over the next you know two five 10 years, we'll, we'll begin seeing some of this stuff map out. Mm-hmm. But those are the questions to ask because that's the kind of stuff I'm starting to, like, we're, we're there. I think that you can you can look out at our culture and you can see it sort of reflecting the period. If you look at Free Guy just landed on HBO Max, so I watched it the other night. So 
free guy. He, he's like the sunglass people versus the not sunglass people. The sunglass people can are, are the players of the game. They can see all of the hyper reality that's floating around them. And the, what I, I, I test drove a Mazda three uh, recently where there was a projection on the, on the dash above the dashboard, but on the windshield that was out in front of, it felt like it was out in front of the car with the speed limit and some other information so if you think about the, the massive pane of glass in your car and augmented reality, as you drive down the street, the billboards can be on your screen rather than in the air on, on, the, on the ground. So you can kind of see where things are going and you can see where all these pieces kind of have to flow together. The Starlink, the satellites, augmented reality, 5G, all of these things kind of are slowly creeping to exactly what Death Beach is talking about. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for years I used to joke and say I wanted a Google-driven Tesla so that I could just get in the back of my car and have it take me wherever. But Bill Ford was talking about that a few years ago when he said that in order to achieve his great-grandfather's vision of transportation and mobility of society, we needed these things in order to route traffic. I mean, anyone who's been in LA understands the word traffic, right? But if you could route people in different ways so that traffic abates, so that mobility continues, um, that can all be done through AI. And AI technology is just at the, the cusp of managing that large flow of data. If every car connects to a network and then, then there could come a day, this is how the law interacts, there could come a day where it is actually safer for humans to ride in an autonomous vehicle than to drive. Amazing. Because the computer knows way more than the human can, can make better decisions about the route, make better decisions about how to interact with the cars around. And I think we're, we're slowly getting to that kind of a reality. I mean, it, it's entirely possible that a human would have more liability behind the wheel than than an <laughs> AI. That is amazing. Serious question, John. Uh, are entertainment lawyers needed in the metaverse? That's a serious question. I mean, that's not tongue in cheek at all. Well, you got to remember that entertainment law is a very broad umbrella. And I was just pointing this out. I was teaching a college class, and Article One, Section Eight, Clause Eight of the United States Constitution is, I, can, I could quote it for you, it, it basically sets aside the, the basis for protecting invention so that the inventors can monetize it. So it, it, it says, to promote the progress of science and the useful arts by securing for limited times to authors and inventors the exclusive right to their respective writings and discoveries, that even though it was written 245 years ago, is is still very applicable today. So an entertainment lawyer, yes, the word entertainment is in there, but really we're dealing with small businesses with a high degree of intellectual property. And intellectual property is based in our constitution right from the get-go. So all the laws that come after derive their power from that foundational document. And all we do as lawyers is try and help people build their empire or protect what they've created there will always be a need for some help in that regard. And 
if you think of an entertainment lawyer really as just a very highly knowledgeable consultant for your business, then it shifts a little bit. There's always going to great athletes always need a coach. Yeah. Artists and musicians are always going to need a team of people to help them achieve new heights. And so I think there will be plenty of space for entertainment lawyers in that sort of world moving forward. Um, you got to not think of lawyers just as, you know, I'm in trouble or uh, right. there's a lawsuit or it's really about how do we take the new frontier and, and how do we mold things that are going to work for society and mon you can monetize them. And that's, that's so you can, you can put J.A. Shield and Associates outside of your home. You can just put the banner up now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm on the web, so <laughs> it's basically like that. <laughs> Absolutely. Any any final words, John? Any any uh, thing of note that? Um... Well, it's interesting. Since our last discussion, I've I've been reading a lot of the naysayers, and I, I think lawyers do this. We we play both sides and we try to figure out what the argue, the counter argument is. Yeah. And there have been several very well-written pieces about the counter argument to cryptocurrency and NFTs, just as it pertains to the marketplace right now. And I think there's still quite a lot of friction for the average user. When I say friction, I mean impediments to easy use. We, we're just now getting used to like Venmo, you know, and, and sending money in a non-banking kind of a way. So Death Beach mentioned DeFi. And so some of these new technologies are still foreign to people. I mean, there are people out there, believe it or not, who don't even trust banks and don't want to put their money in banks, right? So there are people who are lagging and who are not going to be able to take part in the new, this new world. If they're late adopters, this technology just seems like super foreign to them. So there are some counter arguments that are being put forth that it's, you know, it's only a small subset of the population. But I think that the rebuttal to the counter argument is that all of the big players, we're talking about Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, all these people are doing things that are moving technology and society in that direction. Um, so it, it's important for an artist who synthesizes the world around us and in some cases leads the population. It's important for us as artists and entrepreneurs to, to be knowledgeable about it. And even if your fan base is a little reticent to get involved, you should be educating yourself so that you can be on the forefront. I, I, as a lawyer and as a musician, I sometimes tell my clients, we are the wizards. We are leading people, giving people the magic that they that they're looking for in the world. Sure. And so as an artist, I would encourage everyone who's watching this to get involved, um, you know, go out and buy some cryptocurrency, engage with a virtual concert, just participate in it so that you can understand it because the big dogs are moving in that direction and things are moving. You either get on board or get out of the way kind of thing. Yeah, you think so? Then we will be like if if we stay behind, we'll be like the buggy whip makers who were going <laughs> that, you know, that contraption is scaring me. Get that thing out of here, and then that's it. No more. There are still whip. plenty of people who don't want to put their music on Spotify. Believe it or not, who make a living playing music six, seven nights a week. I know, I know many who are older musicians who still have a fan base of thirty to forty people that show up and see them play every night of the week, and that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, but at a certain point, when you look at what our kids are doing and our kids' kids and 
on down the line, things are going to be vastly different in the future. And if you embrace some of this stuff now, it won't be so fearful later. Uh, when we're all old and crotchety, we won't be screaming, get off my digital lawn. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll have a nicely manicured garden that people can come into. So, <laughs> Absolutely. Well, what about you, DB? Any, any final words? Brother? Yeah, I mean, actually, uh, with, with what John was just saying about uh, live musicians, uh, there's absolutely a lane for them here. Uh, you're a live musician, you have 30 or 40 people that want to come see you all the time. Why would they not own an NFT that gets them into X amount of your shows for free a year? Maybe they're buying a lifetime pass, whatever it is. Uh, perhaps you have a, a regular gig at this really amazing bar, restaurant, whatever it is, and people are buying a subscription to come see you play there. Perhaps it comes with a free meal, something like that. It has value that they can resell it to somebody else. You know what I mean? And then they can make money off it eventually. Somebody is going to go in there. I think it's called photogametry where you can like scan a room with your phone, right? You can create a virtual environment and then you're going to be able to broadcast that online. So you're not going to be just playing to people locally, but your whole gig can just be live. You don't have to sell music, right? So there's different ways to utilize this technology to really take better advantage of what you're doing and provide a little bit more uh, value to what to what you're doing by offering people ownership over something or being able to participate just on like a slightly deeper level. Um, I think that that's uh, you know something to to think about and consider is again and, and also along the lines of you know the articles John may have read were early. Nobody's created the dual button that's either a login with your wallet or a login with your, your email. However, it's like about to exist. We now have email login for blockchain stuff where you can log in with your email, buy an NFT, and there's a wallet created for you via the people that's letting you log in with your email, right? So we're creating these solutions. So whenever I read these negative articles, I'm like, okay, wow. That's you just dissed it for today, but like that's going to change in like a month. Mm. So people need to be thinking like, you know, where is this all going? Anybody who's looking around at the world right now and thinks that like everything's just the same as it was a few years ago, you're you're kidding yourself. Sure. Things are moving in some sort of direction. Sure. And so I think as entrepreneurs, especially musicians, uh, we need to pay attention to these things again, so we can get that extra stream of income off of what it is that we're already doing, right? Like those live musicians, they're playing live, they're getting paid to play live. Why not sell an NFT and make additional money? So I would encourage people to be thinking uh, like in that way, like where are we going? Uh, what I tell people a lot of times too is how do you want to monetize your music? Like what's your big dream? A lot of people don't even know because we can make something really cool out of an NFT if you if you do have an idea. Um, but a lot of people, whenever you kind of pin them down like that, they're like, ooh, I, I, I don't really know how, like what my dream is for how I want people to interact with my music, how I interact with them, how many albums I sell, how many albums you want to sell this year. Nobody can answer that question. Wow. They're just hoping it's a couple million and they make a bunch of money. Right. Mm -hmm. But like, they don't, uh, you know, you have to have a business plan, right? If you sat down with a lawyer and you were like, yo, I'm going to drop 10 grand into my music.
And like, I'm hoping to just like sell CDs. Okay, great. Uh, how many CDs are you going to sell? And they don't answer like immediately you're kind of shooting holes in their business plan and helping them develop and see a larger picture. Like you're going to drop 10 G's into this. You should probably figure out how you're getting that back and what the time frame is on, on getting that back. So yeah, just that, that, that's just kind of where I'm at, you know, think, you know, start mapping it out, thinking about it. We're clearly moving in this direction. So, yeah. That's cool. You brothers are so cool, man. You're cool, cool, cool. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your time. And uh, we'll plan on four months from now, maybe <laughs> sit down again and see, you know, what has happened. Uh, much success to pools. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm beyond fascinated and beyond curious and, and ready to kind of dive into the pool. So thank you for the name. Sign up on the website to get the emails. There's some cool stuff coming. And I'll have the links in the show notes, but I believe that's pools.io if I'm not mistaken, yeah. correct? Yeah. Yeah. It's with the zeros instead of O's though. Right, right, right. That's the- I just went to your Instagram and found it on there. Okay, perfect. <laughs> yeah, that's excellent. And John Shield, J.A. Shield and Associates, you want to look them up and yeah, you just want the consult consulting to get you in the door to find out why you need services like John offers. And believe me, if he's on the entree musician, he's one of the absolute best. My name is Jerry B. That's Death Beach. That's John Sheil. Let me just throw this out there because it's it's J. Arthur Sheil and Associates, J-A-S-A-Legal.com. But you can, if you find me, John Sheil, you'll find all my social and just click on it. Say hi. You can get in touch with me a million different ways. I just Googled John Sheil and about five different things came up so yeah <laughs> but now you have to finish man you interrupted the, the one oh, i'm so sorry i was planning so you do it you do the ending <laughs> ladies and gentlemen come on back here for more andre musician content you are going to love it and you're going to learn a ton and jerry b the man of the hour so thanks jerry for having us you yeah, have thanks, a great man. podcast we really love you so thank you we love you Blessings to you, everybody. Take care, and we'll see you next time. God bless.